Good morning and welcome to The Effect, and we are glad you're here. Um, you know, last month, The Effect celebrated 13 years, and I think today, I am 99.99% sure that today is the first day that Dave Brisbane called in sick on a Sunday. Out of 13 years, it's the first day that he said, I can't make it. So I'm nursing a resentment. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, you know, it's uh, not, and not only is Dave out today, but uh, Scott called yesterday, and uh, Scott actually was with family members last week. It turns out that one of them may have been exposed to the uh, virus, and so Scott is self-quarantining for two weeks just to make sure that he doesn't accidentally infect anyone or do anything, uh, you know, that, that hurts anyone. So we're without Dave today. We're without Scott today. So we are uh, we're a little shorthanded, but... But you know what? It's still a beautiful, great day. It's a day to uh, to celebrate the Lord, be in the Lord's house, uh, be together, be in community, whether it's through the, uh, the computer uh, or the few that are in person. You know, it is just one of those beautiful days. And it's Father's Day. How exciting is that? Uh, we get to celebrate the fathers today. And so naturally, that kind of leads to... Uh, to the message for today, uh, but before we get all serious and spiritual, or attempt to get serious and spiritual, you know, I don't do serious and spiritual just real well, but uh, before we, we attempt to get serious and spiritual, I thought, uh, I thought we'd start with a little bit of humor. So uh, here are the top 10 things that you will never hear a dad say. Doesn't that sound like fun? Yeah, yeah. Number 10. And, you know, I guess, I guess I'm doing my David Letterman presentation here, you know, the top 10, and we'll count down from 10 to 1. So, number 10. Well, how about that? I'm lost. Looks like we'll have to stop and ask for directions. <laughs> number 9. The number 9 thing you'll never hear a dad say. You know, Pumpkin, now that you're 13, you'll be ready for unchaperoned car dates. Won't that be fun? <laughs> Number eight, I noticed all your friends have a certain hostile attitude. I really like that. <laughs> Number seven, here's a credit card and the keys to my new car. Go crazy. <laughs> Number six, what do you mean you want to play football? Figure skating isn't good enough for you, son. <laughs> Number five, your mother and I are going away for the weekend. You might want to consider throwing a party. <laughs> Number four, well, I don't know what's wrong with your car. Probably it's one of those doohickey thingies, you know, that makes the car run or something. Just have it towed to a mechanic and pay whatever he asks. <laughs> Number three, no son of mine is going to live under this roof without an earring. Now quit your belly aching and let's go to the mall. Number two, what do you want to go and get a job for? I make plenty of money for you to spend. And the number one thing you'll never hear a dad say, what do I want for Father's Day? Ah, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. 
And then in parentheses, actually, they may say this, but they don't mean it. So there you go, top 10 things you'll never hear a dad say. Thank you, thank you. That's the humor for the day. Uh, Hopefully that's not all the humor for the day. Um, You know, it's Father's Day, and I can't really think of a more appropriate subject uh, to talk about than our Father in Heaven. Um, you know, he's, he is the reason for life. He's the reason for the day. He's the reason, uh, you know, that we are able to find joy and happiness and a path and encouragement, especially, uh, you know, in challenging times. And so, you know, talking about him, I love that, that Marion read the different names of God, uh, talking about him trying to get a grasp of who he is, what he is, his attributes, um, you know, is I think, I think it's one of the more difficult things that we do. If you've spent any time in the Bible, uh, you look at the Old Testament and you get a visual of a vengeful, wrathful, often angry God. Uh, you look at the New Testament, you get more of an image of a compassionate, loving, caring God. But, uh, but overall, you know, as we work our way through the book, as we seek to understand, it can be confusing. And, you know, any confusion there can bring fear. You know, what God am I serving? What is his nature? Am I doing okay? Am, is he liking what I'm doing? Is, is he comfortable with who I am, what I am, and what I'm doing? If we're not, uh, you know, if, if we're uncomfortable in our inability to totally define the nature and character of God, then it can lead to a bit of fear. It can lead to a bit of anxiety, and uh, it can lead to a bit of disruption in that relationship. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, I've got three passages of scripture that I want us to look at. And the first one is from the Old Testament, which I thought was uh, appropriate and fitting, uh, you know, because it's the Old Testament that often causes us the most problems when it comes to really developing uh, a view of God and understanding of God that is loving, forgiving, and compassionate. Uh, It's the Old Testament that tends to put us on a track of worrying about uh, how judgmental he is, how disapproving he may be. Most of that comes from the Old Testament. So I I thought it was uh, was fitting and appropriate that we start with a scripture, you know, from the Old Testament, and then uh, we'll go and, and look at a couple of scriptures that are from the New Testament that are actually Jesus himself talking because uh, we have no better authority on the subject than Jesus, uh, the Son of God. You know, he knows the Father better than any of us, so I think that's a uh, perfect source for us to go to. Before we, uh, we get started with that, I think it's important, I think it's uh, really critical that we realize that it's very possible and even probable that a lot of times we bring a little bit of baggage, uh, personal baggage, to this subject of the nature of God. And here's what I mean by that. You know, 
many of you know, I was raised in the Southern Baptist Church. Um, and when I say I was raised in the Southern Baptist Church, I mean, I started attending when I was this big. Um, my folks would take me and, and deposit me in the nursery, and then they would go to church. And for the next 17 years, you know, we were there every uh, Sunday morning, every Sunday afternoon, and every Wednesday evening. So I was raised in Southern Baptist Church, and what comes along with that is all of its teachings. Um, you know, and if those don't agree with what I think to be the nature of God today, then that can bring a bit of baggage to my relationship. The second thing is uh, my earthly father. Uh, every, each and every one of us had a little bit of a different experience with our earthly father. For some, it was a very positive experience. For some, it was a very negative experience. For others, it was somewhere in the middle. But uh, whatever experience we had with our earthly father, that certainly brings a flavor or a coloring to our relationship with God the Father. Third, the third one is my worldview. Um, you know, the world is built around a viewpoint of quid pro quo, something for something. It's what quid pro quo means, something for something. And that's, uh, that's pretty much what the world, how the world operates. Uh, it's rare that we get something for nothing. Uh, we understand that, you know, if I want a paycheck, I gotta go to work every day. Um, we understand how things work like that. And this makes it difficult for us to understand concepts like grace, concepts like unconditional love. Um, so, you know, as I have looked at my life, throughout the years, I can tell you that each one of those three areas has created some baggage at some point, some difficulty in my relationship with God at some point in my life. You know, the Baptist church uh, tended to be very focused on sin. It tended to be very focused on uh, my responsibility to live a good, clean life in order to be pleasing to God. And that if I wasn't living a good, clean life, I wasn't pleasing to God. And, you know, let me just put a little bit of a disclaimer on this. I'm a long ways removed from my early years. That's a, that's a very gentle way of saying I'm pretty old. I'm a long way removed from those early formative years. And so as I look back on the effect that the church had on me in my early years, as I look back on the effect that my dad had on me in those early years, you know, it's, uh, it is what I remember of it, what I think happened. But, uh, you know, I couldn't tell you that it is exactly the way I envision it or not, because it's been a long time since I was there. I was born at a very early age. Um, but the church definitely left me with an impression. And I, you know, I know many people in here grew up in the Catholic faith. And I talked to many, uh, many of you, and it's the same story. There is a residual component that comes from deep within because of my early upbringing in the church. And it, uh, 
it's almost a quid pro quo kind of relationship with God. If I want to be right with God, I have to perform in ways that are acceptable to him. I have to bring a good, clean life to the table in order to be acceptable, loved by him. Um, you know, when it comes to my earthly father, um, my dad grew up in the Depression era. He grew up in the country uh, in Texas. Uh, he came at life with uh, a, a good old boy, country boy attitude. And I think probably his, uh, his favorite mantra was, uh, spare the rod and spoil the child. At least it, that's what it felt like from my point of view. Now, you know, my behavior probably merited the rod uh, more than most, but, uh, but it seemed like there was a lot of rod in my early life, you know, and, and my dad was not real sparing of it. So, uh, you know, this gets tied to what I think of when I think of the term father. This, this is deeply embedded in me. It, it, it's at a subconscious level. It's not at a conscious level. Um, you know, when I hear the term father, you know, I, uh, what, what images come up are, you know, my relationship with my dad in my early years. And it was a perform well, behave well, and good things happen. Perform badly, behave badly, and bad things happen. And, you know, it's hard for me to divorce myself from those early experiences and hard for me to divorce myself from, you know, that relationship, that viewpoint uh, of father. You know, and the third one that I mentioned is uh, worldview. Worldview is, is nothing more than, you know, what I have become convinced of of how the world works. It is what I consider to be truth. Uh, it's what I consider to be um, reality. You know, my worldview, uh, I believe that we must work hard to achieve anything. I believe that we must play by the rules or we get in trouble. I believe that we have no reason to expect to receive anything that we didn't earn or deserve. You know, that's, that's kind of uh, a few little pieces of my worldview. Uh, and those come from deep within me. Those were ingrained and instilled into me, you know, in my upbringing. And they're good. They're healthy. They help me participate in life in a good, healthy fashion and chase life and do life and, uh, and not, not live for handouts, but, uh, but, but seek to accomplish things. The problem is that worldview doesn't exactly coincide with unconditional love. It doesn't exactly coincide with grace. And so as I seek to understand my Father in heaven, as I seek to understand his attributes, who he is, what he is, and I'm told that he's kind, loving, compassionate, forgiving, full of unconditional love, full of grace, you know, giving with no expectation of receiving, arms always open wide. I have a hard time really getting there. That's not the experience that I get in life. Um, 
that's not what I perceive to be reality in the world around me. Um, and so, so it can make it difficult as we start to chase this thing and start to chase him and pursue him and seek to be like him. Uh, a lot of times we have this baggage that we bring to this table, these prior understandings, these prior convictions, these other aspects of life that can hamper or get in the way of that relationship. Okay, let's take a look at some scripture. Um, the first passage that I want us to look at today comes from the book of Micah. Uh, Micah is right in the middle of the Old Testament. Micah was one of the prophets. Uh, and so as all of the prophet books, uh, Michael, Micah was writing at a time when the Hebrew nation was under attack. And it was very much a message of repent, or bad things are going to happen. You know, we're in trouble, we need to turn from these ways, and we need to change direction, or bad things are going to happen. Uh, it was actually written somewhere between 750 BC and 700 BC. And I find this really fascinating because what we think we know is that the earliest books of the Bible were written around 1500 BC. And then, of course, Jesus came 1,500 years later. So the time period of Micah puts it right in the middle of that time period. Uh, it puts it right in the middle of the New Testament from a time-wise point of view. Uh, excuse me, the Old Testament. From a time-wise point of view. So it's not close to the end or close to the beginning. It's right in the middle. And uh, it definitely was at a time of great difficulty for the Hebrew nation. The Assyrians were attacking them on a regular basis, uh, you know, yearly forays into Israel and Judea, uh, making slaves of them, besieging their cities, uh, taking them into captivity. It was a challenging, difficult time. And Micah was delivering a message to the people you know, as a prophet and telling them we need to change our ways um, and seek the Lord. And I want to read this scripture to you. I want you to listen to it because to me, it is very different from what I would expect from the Old Testament. It's very different from what I would expect the Old Testament to say uh, about how to chase God. Micah says, and this is in Micah 6, verse 6 through 8, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? No. He has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, I find this passage fascinating because the Jewish people were raised to follow the law. Everything about their religion, everything about their relationship with God was about following the law. 
I don't know if you know it. Um, I don't geek out too much. You know, Dave is our resident geek. He loves the details and the history and everything else. I'm, I'm not exactly bent that way. But, uh, you know, I did look this up. I have looked this up before, and I find it really fascinating. If you look at the, uh, the Torah, uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy, you find that there are 613 laws that the, uh, the Jewish people were to follow. That was the law, the law of Moses, 613. And what's really fascinating, and I don't think it's changed a bit in 2,000 years, only 248 of those 613 laws were positive, saying, do this. The rest of them were negative. They were saying, don't do these things. You know, do these things, don't do these things. You know, if you divide that up, if you do the math, it's almost two-thirds of their law was don't do, you shouldn't do. And maybe a third of their law was you should do, this is good. Yeah, that feels like exactly the experience I have from my early church days. It felt like there was twice as many things that they were telling me not to do as there were things that they were telling me I could do or should do. You know, it felt like the message was more negative than positive. And yet here Micah is, right in the middle of the Old Testament, right at a time when the Jewish nation, the Hebrew people, are really going through it. And he is sending them a message that is really putting their law in second place. You know, he's saying, what does the Lord require of you? Does does he want 10,000 rivers of oil? Does he want all these sacrifices? No, that's not what he wants. He wants you to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly. It's an amazing message coming from where it comes from, from the time period, from where it is within the Old Testament. Uh, It really, it, it gives me a lot of hope and encouragement that you know what we really think we understand about the Jewish people and their thoughts about God were maybe a bit different than the way we envision them based on scripture you know and as i look at this tendency of you know one third being things that i should do two thirds being things that i shouldn't do um I find that for me today, if I adopt a position like that, it keeps me more focused on the negative than on the positive. It keeps me more focused on the things that I shouldn't be doing instead of the things I should be doing. And I want to, uh, I want to hold up an example to you uh, from the Old Testament of someone that I think showed how to do it right. And and he didn't get the law right. You know, this is King David. King David was called the beloved of God. Uh, King David was so beloved of God that God said, you know, my son will come from your bloodline. And yet David is by no means the first example that we would hold up as a person living the most righteous, most Christian, most, you know, most perfect life. David was all over the map. 
You know, David was chasing the ladies. David was, you know, going to war. David was, you know, having the man killed that got in the way of him and the woman that he wanted. David had a lot of problems and failed a lot. But what David did well is he always came back to God and he chased the positive aspects of his relationship with God. He loved God. He loved God profusely. And every time he saw that he had done wrong, you know, he turned and he came back and, you know, he repented. He changed direction and he came back and chased God with a fervent love. And I really do believe that it's that fervent love that made him so beloved of God. You know, the other thing that I notice about this message is it's very simple. Um, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. You know, it reminds me of Jesus when, uh, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, the law and the prophets can be summed up as this. And that's basically telling the Jewish people, your whole scripture can be summed up in this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. These are simple messages. You know, I tend to complicate things. I tend to believe that something this important needs to have a lot of moving parts. Something this important, you know, must need to be complicated. It must need to, uh, to have a lot of pieces to the puzzle just because it's so big, it's so important. And yet Micah and Jesus both, you know, are bringing us back to a point of it's not that difficult. It's not that complicated. It shouldn't be that daunting or that fearful. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Love God. Love others. Love yourself. You know, they're, they're sending us the same message over and over. You know, Davis, David was held up, King David was held up as the perfect example because he... Uh, because he loved God, because he chased God, because God was at the forefront of his life. Um, it's pretty amazing. So, you know, I guess uh, to give it a frank uh, summation, my way of putting it, it would be cut yourself some slack and then extend that slack to others. You know, this is not that difficult, it's not that challenging. We're called on to love God, love others, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. You know, the next passage I want to look at uh, actually comes from the Sermon on the Mount. It comes from Matthew 5. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 43 through 48. And uh, this is Jesus talking. It's Jesus talking and, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, which is the longest recording that we have of him continuously speaking to one crowd. Uh, and in this passage, he's talking about God. And he, uh, he's trying to give the people an example of God's nature. So he says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But here's what I tell you. Love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. Then you will be children of your Father in heaven. 
He causes his sun to shine on evil people and good people. He sends rain on those who do right and on those who don't. If you love only those who love you, what reward will you get? Even the tax collectors do that. If you greet only your own people, what more are you doing than others? Even people who are ungodly do that. But you and I are to act like our Father in heaven. You know, I used to think it was very naive that the Christian walk could be summed up with the term love. I grew up in the 70s. I mean, I grew up in the 70s. I was born well before that. You know, I was attending college in the 70s. Um, and it was it was at the time when the Jesus movement was was gaining footage out here in California. And I remember looking at that and thinking, how naive is that? You know, this idea that love is the answer to everything. You know, not only did I think it was naive, I, was, I, thought, I thought it was naive at best and harmful to the faith at worst. You know, if you had asked me at the time, I would have told you, there is so much more to the Christian walk than love. You know, that just, uh, that, that cannot capture the whole thing. You know, there's obedience. Uh, there's forgiveness in order to be forgiven. There's guarding your thoughts and your behavior. And the kicker, there's a real need for the right theology. You know, I would have told you that all of these things are critical pieces to a right walk with God, to being right with God. Uh, I would have told you that without them, uh, it would be impossible to be in right relationship with God. Uh, that was that was my starting point, you know, in this relationship. And thankfully, today, uh, things have changed a bit. You know, today I would absolutely tell you that love is the answer, that love is the path, that love sums up the journey, um, that love is what we are called to. You know, I would tell you that is the answer today. The problem is knowing what love looks like in many situations. And this is a conversation that we've been having a lot on Tuesday night, it seems like. Uh, especially in these times that we're having right now as a nation, you know, what does love look like in every situation? It is, it's really challenging. You know, I used to think, you know, love being the answer, you know, was naive because, you know, it, it just didn't encapsulate enough. It wasn't that difficult. It wasn't that challenging. It wasn't that big a deal. It wasn't that hard to do. Uh, and and it just it couldn't grasp the whole situation, you know. But love is probably the most challenging thing that we seek to do on a regular basis. How do I live love with someone that's out to harm me or harm others? How do I live love with someone that supports things that I abhor, that engages in activities that I can't condone? How do I live love in those situations? You know, love, living love, doing love is, I think, the most challenging thing that we are called to, the most difficult thing that we are called to. You know, to be totally honest, uh, 
I don't know how, I don't know what love looks like in each of these individual situations. I don't know what love looks like always when confronted by anger or confronted by someone who wants to do harm. I don't know what love looks like uh, when engaged in a conversation with someone who uh, is absolutely supporting a viewpoint that I cannot accept, that I cannot agree to, that seems heinous to me. Uh, These are the challenges. These are the difficulties. These are the times that make it really... um, really helps me understand that this is not naive, it's not shallow, it is what we're called to, and it's the most difficult thing that we can ever begin to do. I do have a scripture that I want to read from Colossians uh, chapter 3. It's a scripture that really does help me uh, when I get into these situations, into these times. And it goes like this, you are God's chosen people, you are holy and dearly loved, So put on tender mercy and kindness as if they were your clothes. Did you hear that? So put on tender mercy and kindness as if they were your clothes. Don't be proud. Be gentle and patient. Put up with one another. Forgive one another. If you're holding something against someone, forgive just as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these good things, put on love. Because love holds them all together perfectly as if they were one. You know, it's verses like this that remind me that the journey is about doing love, um, even in the difficult situations. You know, I've, you know me, you know, I like visuals, um, you know, and I meant to. I meant to share this chart a little earlier. I, I, uh, I've, I've got the visual for you this morning that I want to share with you. Um, and it has to do with how I envision our path to God. And uh, it has to do with this idea of, you know, us focusing on, you know, the negative aspects of the journey versus the positive aspects of the journey. The problem is... Uh, I had to create the chart myself. I couldn't find anything online professionally done. So you're not going to be able to see it. You're not going to be able to read it. But I'm going to show it to you, and I'm going to tell you what it says, okay? There's a line across the middle, and under the line it says, don't do Okay, so this is where all the don't do's land. Don't gossip, don't cheat, don't steal, don't murder, don't hate, don't not forgive, because if you don't forgive, then you're not going to be forgiven. All the don'ts fall under this line. Above this line are all the do's. Do love, do mercy, do compassion, do forgiveness, do acceptance, do tolerance, do love. You know, the do's are above the line. The don'ts are below the line. You know, and it's amazing, what I wrote down here is magnet. You know, it feels like there's a magnet down here because my thinking is constantly attracted to what I'm doing wrong. 
Oh, here I go again. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe I did that again. You know, my mind is constantly drawn, you know, down to failure where I'm not doing it right, you know. And here's what I would tell you. This is where the Pharisees operated. The Pharisees operated in making sure that they did not break the law. The Pharisees operated in making sure that they did not do any of the things that they were not supposed to do, okay? And this is what my early upbringing in the church feels like. It feels like it was all focused down here. Don't do, don't do. In order to be right with God, make sure that you don't do. That's, you know, it was almost like that was the way to righteousness was by don't do. I got news for you. God is up here, okay? The path to God is through the should do, the do's. Do love, do compassion, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly, love God, love others, love yourself. And the further I move into this, the less pull the magnet has on me, the less drawn I am, the less attractive this is, and the less my mind goes there. The closer I move, the further I move through this, the closer I get to God, and the less I am attracted, the less I am disturbed by my thinking, the less... I am beating myself up for my failures. The less time I spend staring at what's below the line, agonizing about what's below the line, and chasing what's above the line. You know, I sum it up by saying, chase the upside, don't worry about the downside. Because the further I get away from the downside, the less attraction it has on me. So, there you go. That's my handcrafted visual aid for the day. Uh, If that helps, wonderful. You know, if not, oh well. Um, Okay. You know, the last last scripture I want to share this morning is one that uh, is very familiar to all of us. Uh, It's the story of the prodigal son. Um, There is, there's no way that I know of to talk about the nature of God without coming to this parable. Um, now, I'm going to tell you something. I really hope that everyone listening to this message today has had the opportunity to experience being the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter. I hope you've had a time in your life, and this may sound totally sacrilegious to you, this may totally sound off base to you, but I truly hope you've had the opportunity where you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that that was you, that you were that prodigal son or prodigal daughter, that you had failed God to that extent. Uh, because that's what the story is about. When Jesus told this parable, he was telling the parable, uh, the father in the story is God the Father, 
and he was telling the parable to help people understand the nature of God. And the reason I say that I hope you've had the opportunity to experience that is because until I become the prodigal son, until I recognize that I have been in that place, I'm stuck being the older son. It's, I don't know how it's possible to move from being the older son until, or daughter until you know that you're the prodigal son or daughter. Uh, I, I think that's almost the critical path to getting there. So real quickly, I'm, I'm going to read a portion uh, of this story because it's familiar to all of us. Uh, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both you and heaven, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robes in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He has lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. You know, the story goes on to talk about the older brother who would not come in from the field, who would not participate, who would not celebrate because, you know, he felt like it invalidated what he had done. It invalidated his behavior as a good, loving, law-abiding son. That's why I say to you, uh, I hope you've had the opportunity to, uh, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that at some point in your life, you inherited that space of prodigal son or prodigal daughter because it's the thing that frees you from being the older son or daughter. You know, most of you know I came out here 12 years ago to battle addiction, and um, that was the defining moment. That was the changing moment in my relationship with God. It was the moment that I recognized myself as the prodigal, and when I experienced my God hmm, waiting on the porch for me, running to meet me uh, with open arms, it changed everything I thought I knew about him. Um, 
my need to perform, to be approved, and my need for right theology fell off my shoulders. Um, All of my concerns of a vengeful, judgmental God dropped away in that moment. You know, when I realized that I could stray that far from the path, what I considered to be that far from the path, and still find my God waiting to meet me and running to me with open arms, it changed everything that I thought I knew about him. So, once again, I hope you've had that opportunity to, uh, to experience this for yourself. You know, we're at a time in our country of great division. Um, it's, it's a difficult, challenging, disturbing time. Uh, it's a time where it's easier to see hate than it is to see love. The best way I can say this is I think it's probably one of our best opportunities to stand out as different, to stand out as the city on the hillside or the lamp on the lampstand. Um, you know, as Christians, we are called to behave differently, to act differently, and to draw attention to God through our different approach to life, through our different behavior. This is very hard to do when everything is going smoothly and everything is going well because everybody is nice, everybody is happy, everybody is doing good things, you know, it seems like. It's only in these really difficult, challenging, disruptive times that it becomes easier to be different, to show a different path, to engage in life in a different way. So we're being given an amazing opportunity. Um, I hope we each take advantage of this opportunity to engage differently, to behave differently, to draw attention to God the Father by responding or reacting to a a situation differently than most people would, Uh, to respond in love rather than anger or hate. I want to close today, um, and I want to close with a prayer that's attributed to St. Francis because, uh, you know, oh my gosh, you know, I've read this from up here before. We've all heard this, but uh, to me, it just, it sums up the path so beautifully, and it sums up this message so beautifully that, uh, that I want to close with this. And it goes like this, Lord Make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. My prayer for you this week is that you will have the opportunity 
to react to a situation in a way that draws attention to our loving Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for life. Thank you for love. Thank you for the opportunity to walk through this thing, never really fully knowing if we're doing it right, um, and yet desiring with all of our hearts to do it in a way that's pleasing to you. Show us the path to you. Show us the way to love. Show us how to do love in the most difficult situations. And show us how to be a beacon, a light on a hill, a lamp on a lampstand. Show us how to draw attention to you through our different behavior, through our loving behavior. And thank you for the opportunity to learn and to live and to do life. We thank you. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's stand and we will say our prayer. You may hold virtual hands, or if you so choose, you may hold real hands, whatever you are comfortable with. (laughs) Whose Father? Father. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for being here, everyone, online, in person. We love you. Pastor Dave, get better. Scott, get better. Everybody, we know there's a lot of pain, a lot of challenge, and a lot of hurt out there. If we can help, please let us know. Please let us tell. Please tell us. We want to be available to our community to help and aid and abet in any way we can. Thank you for being here this morning.